0: The Proclamation of God's Word can be found on page 7 of your worship folder. Our sermon text reading today comes from Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Robin. Well, we are in a sermon series on what it means to be a healthy church. And I said from the outset that I'm sure that there are many more marks than the nine that we have here at Redeemer. These are just nine things that the pastors have put together in sort of our our understanding, considering the world in which we live and the city in which we live, nine things that a healthy church needs to focus on. We saw very early on that a healthy church simply understands that a healthy church is a gathering of God's people. We saw that a healthy church prioritizes the main thing, which is the gospel. There's all lots of things to talk about our church. but We want the main thing to be the main thing. We saw three weeks ago with Pastor Shiv that a healthy church has a mission to engage all different types of people. Church isn't just for one subset, one ethne, but it's for all people. And then last week we saw from Pastor Demiran that a healthy church is run according to God's word with leaders that are installed and ordained according to God's design. So that is where we have been in the past. This week, we are looking at having mission clarity, mission of what they are called to do in the world. Now, from the outset, many of you are familiar with Kevin DeYoung, he was our our speaker at Gathered and Scattered this past fall. I worked with Kevin for 13 years, and one of Kevin's most well-known books is What is the Mission of the Church? And so a lot of what I am going to say, I learned from Kevin. So I just want to, you know, just give credit where where credit is due. A lot of this is just borrowing from ideas that I heard him talk about in staff meetings and elder meetings. I'm not trying to plagiarize here. A lot of this is Kevin's thoughts. But before we get to what the mission of the church is, I just want to lay just a few foundational pieces to get us started. Number one, the word mission is not in the Bible. Now, that doesn't mean it's an unhelpful term, there's a lot of terms that we use that are not explicitly in the Bible, the word Trinity. The word infallibility or impassibility or inerrancy, those are not biblical words per se. There are lots of words that we use outside of the Bible that actually bring some definition to what is into the Bible. And sometimes you need to actually step out to clarify what is on the inside. And so the word mission is not in the Bible, but it is a very helpful term. The word mission has a Latin origin which is very closely related to the Greek word for the apostles. And the apostles are those that are sent by God. So this is after the ascension. The apostles are sent into the world with a specific task. And so that is what we mean by mission. We are asking, what is the church sent into the world to do? I also just want to pause there and say that phrase, mission of the church, also needs some clarification. Because I do think a lot of people get tripped up there. We are only talking about the mission of the church this morning. Just the mission of the church. There are a lot of people, I think, with very good intentions that would say, well, the mission of the church should be the mission of Jesus. Whatever Jesus was called to do, that should be the mission of the church. And now at first, that sounds great. But we want to be like Jesus. His mission as God's people should, should be our mission. But then you, you start to think about it. And again, the word mission is that you are sent with a, with a task. You're sent to do something. So it was, what was Jesus sent to do? What, what was the mission Of Jesus. When we see that Jesus was sent into the world to live the perfect life that we can never live, the mission of Jesus was to die a substitutionary death on a cross. On the cross, Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus satisfied the wrath of God so that God's people would be forever forgiven and forever welcomed into a secure and loving relationship with the Father. So then you think, oh, well, maybe that's not my mission. (laughs) None none of us are called to die on the cross to satisfy the justice and wrath of God. The mission of Jesus is different than the mission of the church. There's some people who might go to Revelation 21. Again, I think with very good intentions, Revelation 21, that that God is making all things new. God's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And so some people might say, well, the mission of the church should be the mission of God, what, what God's doing in the world today. God's making all things new, and He's going to make the world a better place. And so maybe the mission of the church should be better health care, or getting rid of injustice, or creation care, caring for the world. Well, those are all wonderful things. I don't think anybody is against that. But just by way of reminder, Revelation 21 is about what God is doing. And God can do a lot of things that the church is not able to do. And I also would want to remind you that in Revelation 21, it also says that God is going to throw the detestable into the lake of fire. And I don't think anybody wants that to be the mission of the church. And so, again, we just need we just some, some clarity, some definition. The mission of God, the mission of Jesus, is not quite our mission. I also want to say as a foundational piece, we are not talking this morning about your individual mission in your life. I hope that every single person at Redeemer has an individual sense of call throughout the week, that you you would examine your your gifts and your abilities, and you'd be able to think, I want to put those to you. I want to do something in Jesus' name for six days of the week. This is our our gathered and scattered theme that we come back to so often that one day a week we come together as a church to be fed by Jesus so that for the other six days you're scattered out into the world, into the city to do good. And so perhaps you might have an individual mission of starting a literacy program for kids in the city or reforming politics in our nation. Those are wonderful missions. Just not the mission of the gathered church as we come together. So we are not asking what is the mission of Jesus, nor are we asking what is the mission of God, nor are we even asking what is the individual mission of your life. Praise God, we have all sorts of different men and women here that have different senses of calling. We are only asking this morning in a very specific way, what is the mission of the church? And what does it mean to be unclear mission? This is from Stephen Neal, who I learned about through Kevin. Stephen Neal writes, "If everything is mission, then nothing is mission." So you just want to think through the fog, that we'd be hyper-focused to do exactly what God has called us to do." You see, if the mission of the church is evangelism and church planting, plus global poverty in fighting racism, in renewing the schools, in global warming, in creating better laws and better legislation. If, if, if all of that is the church's mission, we're going to become quickly parallel. We're not even going to know where to, where to start. How are we going to do all of that? See, effective institutions have a very clear sense of what they are called to so that they are able to say no to things that are also very important, just not their primary Calling. You see, core values shape the institution, and healthy institutions are always going back to those core values. Detroit's our, our hometown, as you all know. Detroit is the largest city in our country with the most significant problems. We, we live in a, a tough, gritty city with, with lots of issues. We had a, Vanessa and I we had a couple over a year ago that they've been in, in Detroit for. A long time, two decades, something like that. And we were uh, with, with this couple, had a, had a wonderful night. We were laughing about the city. In a way, if you live here, you sort of joke about our city. And we were laughing about Detroit real estate. I mean, only in Detroit. You know, I'm looking to buy a house. You show up to the house. I mean, the windows are blown out. The copper's stolen. There's a tree on the second floor, you know, that's grown up through the roof. And the real estate agent says, the bones are great. You know, this is a real selling point. No windows, no copper, no electricity. But, you know, the foundation's strong because it's old. It's just, uh, we, we live in a city that, that has issues. Vanessa and I often say, we love Detroit. She's got issues. There's a lot of issues in our city. So many issues that we could almost become paralyzed as a church. What, what, where do we even start? What, what are we doing here as a church in the city of Detroit. And so all that serves as a rather long introduction for what is the mission of the church. You just heard it read by Robin from Matthew 28, verse 19, what is commonly known as the Great Commission. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, you could fairly ask, well, John, out of all the verses in the Bible, the Bible is a very big book. Are you not cherry picking just one specific verse out of all the thousands of others? Why are you picking that one specific verse to say that is the clear mission of the church? For two reasons, there would be many more, but two for this morning. I would say, first, the context makes it rather clear. Jesus has accomplished His mission. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus has risen from the grave. He's with His disciples one last time before He's about to ascend up into the heavens. It's just a a very honest, straightforward, intuitive thinking would imply that now that Jesus is done with His mission, these are the words where He's going to give us our mission Last words carry a lot of importance, and that's what we see here. And the ending of Matthew, the Great Commission, that's, that's the most well-known final ver, uh, words. But we see very similar commissions in Mark's gospel account. We see very similar words in Luke's gospel account. These are actually the opening words in the book of Acts. And so we see it in multiple places. It's just that the Great Commission is the most well-known. And then second, and I would say even more importantly, for why Matthew 28 should be understood as the main marching orders of the church, is that this is what we see the church doing in the book of Acts. The book of Acts comes right after the four gospel accounts. Acts begins, Jesus is ascending up into heaven. Acts is the story of the birth of the church. This is the first generation of the church is going to do exactly what Jesus wants them to do. And what do we see in the book of Acts? Well, we see the Great Commission being lived out. The story of Acts is the story of the Great Commission, the Great Commission leaving Jerusalem and going out into the world. Now, As as you go through Acts, you realize, as you go to different cities and and different regions, there's different contexts, there's different issues. And so it's, it's not just... Of a simple, just only do these you know, three things and the Great Commission will be fulfilled. There needs to be wisdom and there's how do you bring in mercy and how do you bring in context and language. There's all sorts of different issues. But the main thread throughout Acts is the story of the Great Commission going out into the world. In Acts, there is very clearly mission clarity. Mission clarity. In the Great Commission... There is actually only one Greek imperative, and imperative is a command. There's actually only one explicit command in the Greek, and the main command in the Great Commission is that the church is to make disciples. So what is the church sent into the world to do? Our job is to make disciples. We we, we are to help people follow Jesus. That's the main overarching imperative command of the Great Commission. Now, surrounding that one Greek imperative, there are three participles. Participles are words that describe the main imperative. And so you might ask, well, how how does a church make disciples? Participle number one says that we need to go. Participle number two says that we need to baptize. And then number three, the third participle is that we need to teach people how to obey Jesus. And so the church, a healthy church, needs to be prioritizing these three participles. You you make disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching people to obey. And as you do that, the gospel is moving forth into the world. Now that's a, that's a, a, a really simple mission. You don't need to go to seminary don't need a master's degree, just to figure out on a basic level that is the mission of the church. It's not theologically complicated. And yet we also recognize that that is a tough mission to accomplish, to make disciples of all the nations, of the whole world. It's going to take a lot of sacrifice. It's going to take a lot of buy-in. It's going to take a lot of courage to accomplish. This is not an easy commission. It is not an easy mission that the Lord has given to us. All the nations. The Greek word is is all the ethne. Ponte, ethne. Ethne, that, that word for nations. It's a little bit different than how we understand nations today. We understand nations today by political boundaries. That's not what... Is in mind the New Testament, an ethne is a people group, a group that has a specific culture, a language, a worldview. And so within certain political boundaries, there might be multiple people groups, or there's people groups that sort of transcend even political boundaries. Think of Native Americans that are living in the United States, that would be considered a different ethne than broader American culture or Yemen immigrants that are moving into Hamtramck. That's a different ethnic, that they understand the world differently than broader American culture. And the task of the church is to make disciples in every ethnic group throughout the world. Now, it's, it's very hard to figure out where does one people group start? Where does it finish? And so it, it, it's fuzzy. The numbers are a little bit fuzzy, but Joshua Project They estimate that there are 16,400 different people groups in the world today. In the country of India alone, there are 2,300 distinct people groups. And the task of the church, not not just redeeming the church, I'm talking about the church at large, is we are to make disciples and we are to plant churches in all 16,400 different people groups. So we're in the denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America. We need that sort of equivalent 16,399 times over in all these different areas around the world. That is our task. And what we see, again, through these participles is is how that's going to happen. The first participle is very clear. Go. The church needs to go. The church needs to be on the move. We need to be moving out into the world. This is not the time, church, for us to be sitting back on our laurels saying, oh, we had a great run, you know, starting with Constantine, you know, up until now, Western culture, what a great run the church had. No, it, now is not the time to be resting. It's the time to be going, of of sending people out and raising up pastors and missionaries, sending people out into the city and sending people out into the world. We must be forward-thinking. We must be a going church. See, the the thrust of the Old Testament in Israel was Israel was, was, was called to say to the world, God is great, come to Israel, come to us so that we might tell you about this great God of grace. Old covenant was always come and see. But now, when you get to the new covenant, the New Testament, the mission is very different. Jesus is not telling us to say, hey, come to us. Rather, Jesus is saying, you are to go and tell, you are to go and find, I've called you out of the world. That's the ecclesia. You are called out of the world. But then Jesus very intentionally says, I call you out so that you might go in to find those that have ears to hear of the gospel of grace. We are to be a going church. Two more participles. The second, baptizing. As we go into the world, we are to baptize. Now, baptism is the sacrament of initiation. It's the sacrament that, that welcomes you into the family of faith. And so baptism is just a, a different way of saying evangelize, to, to tell people to come in, how they can be clean in Jesus. And then after people come to faith, are baptized, are brought in, we are to teach, that's the third parsable, we are teach disciples to obey everything that Jesus has Commanded. And this is where church planting comes in. If if you're to look at Paul's missionary strategy in the book of Acts, you get to understand Paul's strategy with three Ps. He preached the gospel, people were discipled, and he planted churches. Preach, people discipled, plant churches. Planting churches is the final step of the great. Commission, Because Jesus says, I want my disciples to be taught how to obey everything that I have said. We could say by implication, everything that is in the Bible, disciples need to learn how to follow. So this means that the Great Commission is not just a, a well-known evangelist that, that shows up on a weekend. So people come to know the Lord and then the evangelist takes off and the people are left all on their own to follow Jesus. No, there needs to be a church that is established, this ties into the sermon from last week, a church that's established with leaders that on Sunday morning are going through books to the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, teaching the people how to obey everything that is in the Word of God. It's not just a revival, it's not just a weekend service, it is a church, a faithful church, that is left behind to teach the people how to follow Jesus. It's the mission of the church. Make disciples. How do we make disciples? We go, we baptize, and we teach people to obey. The mission of the church, we see in Matthew 28, it's very clearly that is what we see in the book of Acts. Last week, Pastor DeMiron, like I said, he preached on leadership in the church. And what we saw is that a church ought to be doing Other things as well. We saw that the early church was committed to the feeding of widows. But what we also saw in that story in the book of Acts is the main ministry of the word that yes, the gospel ought to be ordained with acts of mercy. We ought to feed the widows. But what the church saw was that for in order, For the ministry of the word, the ministry of the gospel to remain central, there actually needs to be the establishment of elders and deacons. Two different types of officers to preserve the main mission of the church. For the sake of the gospel going forward, there was the establishment of the deacons. If Acts is the truest picture of God's design for the church, then what we see in Acts is that the mission of the church is exactly what Jesus commanded in the great Commission and a healthy church needs to have a clear understanding of the main mission so that we do not get off track. See, effective institutions stay on mission. The fire department here in Detroit, they have a clear mission, they are tasked with putting out Fires, And so if, if there's a fire in your neighborhood, call 911. You're trusting that these firemen, firewomen, are going to do their job and they are going to get to the fire and put it out on time. You do not want the fire department to get off mission. You know, as, as, they're, as they're driving to put out the fire, that they stop to fix the roads, or they stop to, to solve illiteracy in the city. No, you want them to be on mission. Now, it's not that the fire department... is is four bad roads and four bad schools. They just know what they are called to do and they stay on track. Or SEAL Team 6, when they're dropped into a foreign nation, they're given a very specific military mission. And they need to be hyper-focused on what they are called to do because if not, then the whole mission is jeopardized. There's a term. I I believe it started in, in business circles, but the term is now applicable to ministry as well. The term is Mission drift. So mission drift happens when an organization begins with a very clear set of objectives, but over time, the secondary objectives sort of drift to the top. Once the secondary objectives become the main objectives, then the very fabric of the institution is forever changed. There's all sorts of institutions, education, business, and certainly ministries that over time are drifting from their original God-given mission. So healthy organizations, healthy churches are always going back to the main founding missions. And This means one of the marks of a healthy organization is that it is often willing to say no to a number of very good ideas for the sake of making the main mission clear. Healthy organizations say yes to very little for the sake of being on mission, and the church needs to do the same. So you guys all I heard just a few minutes ago during Pastor Dan's prayer, uh, this, this past week was a sad week. Like many of you, I've, I've been in my office crying we learned first of the, the tragic passing of Emily Bayon to the band family. I send my, my deepest sympathies. John's daughter, only 28. On the same day that, that Emily passed away was the passing of Harry Reader. Many of you probably don't know Harry, but just a, a, a giant of a man in, in our denomination, a, a real father figure. There's, there's probably the, the two most important congregations in the PCA are, are Briarwood Presbyterian down in Birmingham. Pastored by, by Harry Reeder. And then the second was Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City with Tim Keller. Harry passed away on Thursday, Tim Keller on Friday. So it's been a, a difficult week on, uh, on, on many levels, many tears. For Tim Keller specifically, I, I never actually had the chance to meet Tim Keller in person. I'd been in the same room with him a number of times. I'm sure i looked adoringly at him. Uh, but he, he he never noticed me. Uh, but I had been in the same room with him a, a few times. I will just say I, I'm forever thankful for him. Uh, when, when, when Dan and Laura called Vanessa and I eight years ago now to consider moving to Detroit, certainly one of the things that motivated us was there was a different Redeemer in New York that's Faithful to confessional Christianity that was reaching young people and just a, a thriving downtown urban ministry in New York City. And it certainly did provide some encouragement that, with the Lord's help, a church like this one could happen in Detroit. So I'm very thankful. In, in, in 2007, there was a, a very small group of pastors that had gathered in Chicago to create what is now known as the Gospel coalition So it was John Piper, D.A. Carson, and of course, Tim Keller. I was just a seminary intern at this point. the guy I was working with Kevin DeYoung. Not, not many people knew him then, but, but Carson seemed to, to like Kevin, and so they invited Kevin, and I was the intern, so I got to sit in on these meetings. There's maybe 75 people in total, much, much smaller than what we even have here today, to lay out a vision for gospel ministry in the next generation. A new Piper, a new Carson, didn't know much about Tim Keller. But Tim Keller, he spoke to this small group of pastors in exposition from 1 Peter. It's the first time I'd heard Tim preach, and I will say that one sermon has left an indelible mark on my life and on my ministry. It's a very Tim Keller title for the sermon. What is gospel-centered ministry? Beautiful sermon, and at the end of the sermon, It's probably three or four minutes where he goes on this little rift, where he goes, basically summarizes the whole Old Testament to remind us that the Old Testament is not about us, but about Jesus. The clip has gone viral. I'm sure many of you have heard it. Here's just a little sampling of what Tim said. He said, the Bible is not about you. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel. Who, though innocently slain, has blood now that cries out not for our condemnation, but for acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, Now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Now we can look at God taking his son up the mountain and sacrificing him and say, Now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son your only son whom you love from us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserved. So we, like Jacob, only received the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the real rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb, the innocent, perfect, helpless, slain, so that the angel of death will pass over us. Jesus is the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true queen, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible is not about you. It's about him. I'm just a a seminary intern, so I'm I'm, I'm a Christian at that point, but it it felt like just a a pivotal moment in my life. God really used Tim Keller to not just clarify the gospel for me personally, but also to clarify what is gospel ministry. You see, if, if the Bible is all about what Jesus has done, not about what we have done, our job then is to go into the world and simply tell people about what Christ has done. If Jesus is the new and better Moses, the new and better David, the the true priest, the true prophet, the true king, our job is not to imitate those people, but to simply, as a church, go into the world and tell people of this great Jesus. So this is me, Not sounding like Tim Keller, but sounding like John Saunders. The gospel is sovereign, free, blood-bought grace that God is going to extend to every people group throughout the entire world. God is doing something wonderful in the world. It's a massive work of redemption. God is building a kingdom. God is building a city whose architect is God. The city has no ends. It's God's work. All the verbs associated with the kingdom in the New Testament are passive verbs. We receive the kingdom. We enter into the kingdom. It is passive what we do. So our only job in life is to go into the world and to testify to all that Jesus Christ has done. That is all we are called to do. That's all the Great Commission is. God has done it. We simply get to tell people and then enjoy the ride of being partners with Him in it. That's why Tim Keller will go on to say, the mission of the church is to plant churches in strategic cities around the world. I'm not sure you need to say the mission of the church only for strategic cities. It's hard to critique Tim Keller. That might be my one critique. The mission of the church is just, just to go out into the world, whether it's strategy or not. We're just called to go out and tell people, whether they're in the countryside or in New York or in London. We just need to go out, plant churches, and tell people about all that God has done in the world. A few final thoughts. I'll do this very quickly. Three final thoughts. Number one, in no way is a clear mission of the church At all name of Jesus. So again, I I want Redeemer people here in Detroit. I want you to be doing amazing things in education, politics, justice, compassion, business, arts, sports. Just go do it. Put your gifts to, to use. develop a personal sense of call, examine your heart, what, what are you good at, and then just go do something for Jesus in the city. And if there seems to be some traction, we'll start a separate 501c3 to make it happen. I was very encouraged. Again, just thinking about Tim Keller this past week and reading about Redeemer New York. When Redeemer New York was getting started, there was a woman in the congregation that had a real heart for the poor And because of her, there is now the spin-off ministry called Hope for New York. It's a thriving ministry, 30 years old now. Hope for New York is not central to the mission of Redeemer in New York, but it is a clear gospel partner. And it just started with a church members. The way that we would do it in the United States is that you do start separate 501c3s as a way of doing other types of ministry, but still preserving the main ministry of the church. And I, I just want to, hopefully this is helpful. I think some people that have ideas on how to serve always feel like they need the, the pastor to, to sign off on everything. You, you don't need my permission to do things for Jesus in the city. In some ways it'd be helpful. <laughs> just, just start doing something. Whatever you feel called to do, just get out there, trust the Lord and start doing it. You do not need the pastor to sign off on every ministry idea unless you're gonna attach my name to it, then talk to me. Number two, the Great Commission is given to the church as a whole, not to every individual. But my fear in a sermon like this is that many of you are, are faithful Christians, you're honoring Jesus, you're coming to church, you're raising up your kids, you're tithing, you're praying, you're reading your Bibles, you're trying your best to share your faith in the workplace. And you have a very sensitive conscience. And so you hear a sermon like this, you're like, oh, I know. I'm doing nothing for, for the Great Commission. I'm, I'm a failure. So just this, this constant doubt that so many Christians have that we are never living up to God's standards. And, and that is not what I want you to have. You see, the Great Commission is given to us as a church, as an institution. Not, not every single person is called to 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 feel the full burden of the Great Commission to Ponte Ethne, to all nations. We, We need to ask ourselves, as a collective body, are we doing our part? As a body, are we all coming together to rally around the Great Commission of sending out people and money and resources and training and church planting? We need to ask ourselves that questions together, not just as individuals. So don't feel guilty if you are not the one to go. We need people to work hard to fund those that will go. We need, we need people to stay back to train our kids so that 20 years from now we have other people to send out. We need people in the arts that are able to adorn what we are doing with their good eye. We need lots of different people to do their little part, but the big burden of it is us as a church family, as an institution, are we doing our part, not to every single individual. The third and final thought, a healthy church has a clear sense of mission. She clearly knows what she is called to do. So for the sake of staying on mission, a healthy church will often need to say no to some really good things for the sake of focusing on the main thing. So don't be surprised when Redeemer in the coming years we we'll need to say no to some really good ideas and ministries for the sake of staying clear on the mission of the church. We had a congregational meeting one month ago, and we laid out six strategic areas for engaging the city. College students, professionals, city youth, urban poor, citywide movement, and partnerships with other churches. And so the, the first five, I think those are all great Commission ministries. They're evangelistic. They're about us as a church going into the city, engaging people, telling people about Jesus. But all of those are funneled back into the church where people will then be discipled to learn to obey everything that Jesus has taught. Those were the first five. And they all culminate in the sixth strategic goal in the next five years, which is church planting. Redeemer, without any shame, it's always going to say we are a church that is committed to planting other churches. The Detroit Project, unabashedly, is the ministry that we are going to champion the most here at Redeemer. And if God blesses the work, perhaps even one day the Detroit Project will expand to other cities and regions, ponte ethne around the world. But the culmination of all the ministry, the mission of the church, is always to be an outward-facing, planting churches into the world. So do not be surprised when we need to say no to some things for the sake of doing what we are called to do in the world. Healthy churches know their call, and they stick to it. May God give us the grace to do so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would help us to be a healthy church. We know that a healthy church is, is more than just mission, but we know that mission is a vital part of our health. And so we do pray that you would give us just good discernment, good wisdom to think through how can we be missional, how can we be evangelistic, outward-facing, give us more pastors and more families and more money so that we might plant more churches throughout Detroit, certainly churches around the world. Well, Father, help us to be on mission. Help us. So many churches, and we see it even here in Detroit, have have gotten off track. And Father, we, we do not presume that we would be any better unless your grace keeps us on track. And so we plead now for that grace to keep us on track, that we might do what you have called us to do in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.